If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, and we are finishing out chapter 2 this morning, and we're going we're gonna to get right into it and start with God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, and let's stand as we read from God's good, faithful, holy, authoritative, what else could we say? We could go on and on, right? His Word, His powerful Word. We're in verse 18. It says this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is good. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So here we are. Here we are at the end of chapter two, and we're unpacking this external tension that Christians can expect to experience as they are now people who live in a world where they don't belong. They've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness the one that was saying all along, For, forget you, God. <laughs> we don't need you. We got this. And they've been brought into the kingdom of the light that they were created to belong to from the very beginning, actually, from the first place. And they've been brought back into right relationship with their maker. They have been united together into a new people, a new family, a new nation, and they recognize That all of this happened for a reason and for a purpose. It's so that they might show the world how gloriously good God is. And that makes things so difficult. (laughs) How do you demonstrate to a world how good God is when people all around you, they don't want anything to do with him? Or worse, they hate him. How do you show people that Jesus Christ is their one and only hope when your new life in him makes you their enemy? (laughs) And not only that, now now that you, you recognize that you have a new king, a new boss, a new authority that is high above any other authority you've ever known, how do you live your life into submission to his authority when you've still got all of these lesser authorities 
thinking that they're the boss of you. (laughs) What about when they're cruel? What about when they're corrupt? What about when they're unfair and unjust? Here at the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter wants those who find themselves stuck, stuck with authorities over them, even cruel and unjust authorities, to know how to live under them. And specifically, he speaks to slaves. Slavery uh, is not a normal part of our culture anymore, not an acceptable part of our culture as it was in Peter's day. And even when slavery was commonplace in the U.S., it, it actually was quite different from what slavery was that existed in, in the Roman and Jewish societies of the day. In, first cent- in the first century, it's estimated that slaves constituted up to one-third of the, the, a Roman city's population. Slavery in the Roman world was not, it, was, it wasn't a race thing. People from all races, all types of people could have found themselves in this position where they were slaves. And most people became slaves because they were prisoners of war. Some were brought into slavery as infants. The abandoned children were often scooped up and brought into a life of slavery. There were actually those who sold themselves into slavery to pay off debts. And then there were those who were were captured by professional slave traders, and they entered slavery in that way. Another difference between slavery in American history and slavery in, in Roman history was that slaves had the hope of being given their freedom as they got older. And they could even earn wages to accumulate and then pay for themselves to be set free. They could buy their their freedom. Slavery didn't always mean manual labor. Uh, Many slaves were sent to school. Some became professionals. Slaves were sea captains. They were secretaries. They were doctors. They were teachers. They were accountants. But it wasn't all roses and lollipops. Those slaves were often an essential part of the family. They were, they were really considered just mere possessions, kind of like your, your lawnmower or your weed eater or your dishwasher. They didn't have the same rights as citizens, and they were often exploited and abused. How abused, do you say? Well, the Roman statesman Cato said, old slaves should be thrown on a dump, and when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It's not worth your money. Take six slaves. Throw them away because they're nothing but inefficient tools. Augustus crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet quail. A man named uh, Pollio threw a slave into a pond of deadly lamprey eels eels for breaking a crystal goblet. Juvenal wrote, wrote of a slave owner whose greatest pleasure was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being flogged. It's brutal. It's brutal. And yet it was part of the culture. 
part of the, the system of the day, part of society. It's important for us to note that Peter, actually Peter nor Paul, condone slavery. Peter doesn't condone it in this letter, and he doesn't in any of his writings. And yet, seeing that slavery was such a major part of society, and so many people who were slaves were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, well, he wanted them to know how to live this new life with Christ as their master even though they still found themselves in bondage, in earthly slavery. For Peter, though trusting in Jesus had this dramatic impact on one's life, one's hope for the future, it didn't remove one's earthly authorities. It doesn't invalidate them. It doesn't give a child the, the, the right to say, sorry, mom, sorry, dad, God's my boss now. I don't have to listen to you anymore. It doesn't give you that right, Quincy. It doesn't do that. <laughs> but now she's embarrassed. Instead, trusting in, in Jesus, it gives you the power to live under those authorities that God has placed over you and to do it in a way that actually pleases him. And that's exactly what's going on here in our passage this morning. Just because a slave came to trust in Jesus, that didn't mean they got a, a, a get-out-of-slavery-free card. No, they were still slaves. They were still to submit to their earthly authorities. And someone might say, oh, well, that's great. This is very relevant to the people who found themselves in slavery back in that day. But what about my situation? Can't we just skip to the part in 1 Peter that addresses me, something that's relevant to me? And that's where we got to remember what Paul said, what he wrote, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So if it's in the Bible, then you can be sure that God has something to teach us through it. And of course, there is something he wants to teach us through it. You and I may not be, be slaves. I don't think any of us are slaves in that sense. But we all have positions of authority, people in positions of authority over us, don't we? They tell us what to do. And, and they, they give us assignments, and they hold us accountable. In some cases, it's teachers. In some cases, it's, it's leaders, bosses, government officials. And it's not always easy to submit to these people, is it? We've experienced some of that as of late. Sometimes we think that we can do things a lot better. And we say things from a distance, and we say, I see every problem, every wrong step that you are making there. And other times, we feel like, these people just don't care about us. They've got their own agenda. They're trying to uh, build up their power, exert themselves, seize up more control. They don't care about us. And our lives are busy enough without these people breathing down our necks. I remember back when I was uh, getting along in school, I'd gone through high school and I had gone to college, and now I was in seminary, and now it, that, that was taking longer than it was supposed to, but this is hard stuff. And I remember thinking, I got that, that senioritis. Have any of you experienced that? 
that senioritis, and you get to that point where you know you were sitting in the front of the class, and then you started going back further and further and further and further until you made it to the wall, and you're like, I need to find a, a hole here. I need to dig my way out with a spoon or something. I got to get out of here. And I remember thinking, like, I am so tired. I've been doing I've been doing my work now for so long. I started as an intern, and now I've got an official job, and I'm I just got to finish school. I got to get done with this. And I'm really thinking, I am so tired of of writing stuff and submitting stuff and tests, and these people are giving me grades, and I don't even respect this guy. Who's he to give me a grade? There were other times uh, where I served under people who were just tough to serve under. Some of them were pastors. And I can remember times when my, my wife and I were just going, Lord, what are you doing here? Why, why did you put this person in that position? And why are we stuck under their authority? It's hard getting another youth pastor job. And I'm stuck under this guy, and I am suffering. And there was a time when I found myself feeling that crushing weight of, of hard leadership over me, that I found myself in the youth room, face down on the floor, just weeping, God, take this away. And that's when you know you've hit rock bottom, because the youth room floor is nasty. <laughs> Maybe you felt that way. Maybe it was a boss or a teacher, a landlord, doctor, health care provider, who knows? Maybe even the police. But Peter says, if you're a person that's been called out of darkness and brought into the light, then you're to, to treat your teachers and your bosses, your authorities over you, earthly temporary authorities over you, you're to treat them differently than you would have before. Before, maybe you would have tried to undermine their authority. Before, maybe you would have back-talked back in some way or bad-mouthed them. Or you tried to get away with the least amount of work or compliance possible. Maybe you rolled your eyes when they weren't looking or talked bad behind their back. But now, things are different. Now, when you're in those positions where these authorities are over you, you need to resist that urge to, to act out in a way that disrespects them we got to clarify something here because this is, this is actually very important. I thought a lot about this. That doesn't mean that if you have the ability to change jobs, you shouldn't seek to do that. doesn't mean that. We're, we're talking about a specific context here, slavery, and if these slaves were, they, they were under their authorities, their masters, they're, they're pretty much stuck there. How am I going to, how many, what do I, how many wages do I have, you know, tucked over in the corner of, of my little, my little room here, my bedside, you know, how long is it going to be? I, but until I get enough money to buy my freedom, I'm stuck here. I'm literally stuck here. And sometimes we're in those positions where we are stuck, but other times we, we have some freedom here. And that doesn't mean you need to consider yourself stuck when you're not stuck. It also doesn't mean that you shouldn't make use of the safeguards that have been given to report some of the bad and abusive behavior that might be going on. If, if that exists in the, in the place where you work or where you go to school, the position you find yourself in, if that exists, then I would say that's a, that's a grace of God that you have been given that, and it's okay to pursue that. It, doesn't, it also doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't seek help. When you're being terrorized unjustly. You know, growing up, I, 
I remember so many conversations that my parents were having with different people, and, and a passage like this was getting misinterpreted, and they were saying, you, well, you're, you're in that abusive relationship. You, you, just have to, you just have to endure. You just have to put it up with it. And there have been a lot of people who have really been damaged by those kind of situations. It doesn't mean that you can't seek help and that you shouldn't seek help and that you should just roll over and let yourself be complete or your children be completely destroyed. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that your new position in Christ isn't an excuse. It's not an excuse to badmouth. It's not an excuse to disrespect. It's, it's not an excuse to do anything that is unbecoming of a Christian, anything that would lead people to, to think ill of Christ your Savior, or poor, think, think ill of the image of God that you were created to have and made new and being renewed to now show the world. No, it doesn't mean that. As those who no longer belong to this world, Christians, they need to righteously persevere on that path that Christ has set before them. What is that path that Christ has set before them? It's living out your mission to point others to their one and only hope, even if you have to suffer for it. It's the path that seems to be walked by fewer and fewer people these days. We don't want to suffer. We're, we're here to avoid suffering at all costs. After all, we've got only one life to live, right? And so I'm going to decrease suffering. I'm going to increase pleasure to the max. We don't see a lot of people suffering for the good of others these days. It's the path that says, I'll put my interests aside. Maybe even my advancement my pleasure, my rights, even my best life now so that you'll see Jesus. It's the path of those who know that they belong to a different kingdom, a higher and eternal kingdom. They know they have a king who's been given authority over all heaven and all earth, right? That's Matthew 28. And yet they continue to honor those lesser, temporary, imperfect, sometimes downright evil authorities, and they do it for the sake of pleasing God and pointing others to God. It's the path of the, the greater Love hath no one than this, right? It's the, it's the via dolorosa. It's a way of suffering. They can easily say, you know what? I, I don't need to put up with this. I hear people all the time say, I don't need to put up with this. I won't put up with this. Who are you to talk to me that way? But Peter's telling these Christians, and he's telling us to live out a sacred calling a sacred calling that you have, you now have, of showing the world the excellencies of your Savior as you live out the rest of your days in the here and now. And that sounds a little strange, doesn't it? It's a little strange. Living in a world that says, you got to follow your dreams. Living in a world that says, you got to go out and you got to get yours. Or you've got to uh, look deep down inside, right, and discover who you really are and make sure that everyone else knows it. And once they know it, you punish those who don't affirm it or celebrate it, right? Don't you have any pride? Hmm. Walking the road of suffering 
Why would I do that? Why would I want to do that, Peter? Via Dolorosa? I don't think so. Jesus, that was good and fine for Jesus, not me. Why should I endure suffering for, 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 these, for these horrible, rotten, hurtful people? Give me one good reason, Peter. Tell me why. And he says, I'll give you four. Christians need to righteously persevere on the path that Christ has set before them because he's their example. Peter writes in verse 21, For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example. So that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The, the one who saved you, the one who saved me, the one who gives you life, the one who made it possible for you to be welcomed into this eternal kingdom, he did that by enduring the unjust leaders of his day, did he not? Mm. And he did it perfectly. He endured perfectly. He endured without sin, our passage tells us. He held up under some of the worst leaders and yet his words and his actions, they were without sin and were totally honoring to God. He did it without sin. He did it without deceit. He didn't misrepresent the truth. He didn't conceal anything or try to deceive anyone here to undermine the people in power. He didn't do that. He did it without reviling anybody. Even when he was criticized, even when he was abused, he didn't, he didn't strike back or return evil for evil. No, he's here fulfilling the greatest purpose, the greatest mission in history. He's got opposition all around him, right? Enemies attacking at every single side. And yet he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Friends, Jesus was carrying out the Father's mission. He's trusting that God the Father was sovereignly, totally, absolutely in control, even in the midst of, of horrible injustices here. And that's your example. And that's my example. In this world, you'll have tribulation? Yeah. What do you do about it? You do it the way I did it. As Christ's representatives... As Christ's ambassadors, you and I are here continuing on that same work that Christ begun, aren't we? And yet somehow we, we, we think that we hear that maybe in Sunday school or maybe in a church, and then we go on and we try to live our lives and thinking it's just gonna, we're going to build up this kingdom. I'm working on my house. I'm working on my 401k. I'm climbing up the corporate ladder here. And we get so concerned about all of those things in the here and now of this world, and that is what life becomes. And we forget about this reality that Christ calls us to follow his example, to walk in his footsteps here. We're fighting a vertical battle, aren't we? If you are here last week, we, we talked about that. People all around us, are, they're fighting each other. They're clawing at each other. They're trying to claw at us. They're trying to get the good life now. They're trying to be king of the hill. They're fighting. Some are just fighting for survival, yes. But you've been left here for a vertical fight. 
You're here to point them to their Savior, their one and only hope, and to urge them to trust in Jesus that they might, like you, be lifted out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of eternal light, which you're not now a part of. And so you endure suffering, and you press on down the Via Dolorosa, the difficult, often painful road, holding up under, persevering in spite of unjust authorities. Why? Because that's how Jesus did it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. Is it possible that some people will see your wounds and be astounded by the way that you continue to trust and honor God even as you walk down the hardest, most painful road and they find themselves, is it possible that by watching you, they find themselves healed as they too come to trust in Jesus Christ? Christians do this because of the example that they've been given. They also do it because God is their witness. Let me, let me read to you a, a couple verses, starting back in verse 13. And, and, and we'll start to see a trend here as I, as I read these. They're up on the screen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 15. For this is the will of God. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a covering cover up for evil but living as servants of who as god of god verse 17 be mindful of who god verse 18 this is a gracious thing in the sight of who god 23 jesus continued entrusting himself to who to him who judges justly that's god verse 25 you were straying like sheep but now you've returned to who the shepherd an overseer of your souls. You've returned to God. Seven places in the span of 13 verses that make it crystal clear who you should be living for, who I should be living for. We don't submit to the authorities, these temporary earthly authorities, because we want to please those authorities. That's not who we're trying to please. We don't honor people because they're honorable. We don't respect people because they've earned it. We don't love people because they've been loving us first all along. But as we recognize that God is the one who placed them over us to begin with, we honor him by treating them well. Genesis 1.27 tells us that God created people in his own image. He put them on this earth. He made them special. He cares about them. And so if we want to love and honor him, then we've got to We've got to love and honor these people that he has created as well. And when you don't honor and love them, you're not honoring and loving your creator. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 25, 45. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. There's a relationship between God and the people that he has created. The reality is, that we live each and every day of our lives in full exposure to our God. The Latin term is coram deo, 
Maybe you're familiar with it. Before the face of God. Remember what Peter wrote in verse 10. He said, once you were not a people, but now you are whose people? You're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. At the beginning of chapter 1, he explains what God did for these people. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is all God's doing here. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Oh, I, I want to go back and, and, and just spend time in this again because the promises that are here uh, uh, and the realities that, that Peter's describing of who we are and what is coming, that is so important for us to keep in full focus. He says, it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So God has shown us this incredibly great mercy here in rescuing us from the destructive consequences of our sin. He's brought us into this special relationship with him in which he becomes our God on a personal level. He was always God, but he's our God now, and we are his people. And as his people... We live each and every day, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're in secret or not, fully exposed to God's watchful eye. This is incredible. Now, you can choose to live in one of two ways. You can acknowledge that your life is exposed to God, and that should impact some things. <laughs> or you can ignore it. It's the reality either way. When you live coram Deo, you live before the face of God, you live with an awareness that you are constantly in his presence. You could be mopping the floor. You could be cleaning up the, I won't go into details, the mess of your infant child. You could be in the limelight in front of a bunch of people. You are before the face of God, no matter where you are at. And even when you are under the authority of unjust leaders, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, no matter whose authority you're under, what is being done to you, ultimately, you are still alive and breathing with God knowing it, and so that he gets glory from it. And that's why you and I respect our authorities. That's why we honor them. That's why we love others. We do it not for them, even though it's, it's hopefully beneficial to them. But it's for God's glory. There was a time you were going your own way. I was going my own way, living like God didn't exist. But now things have changed. You've changed. You were straying like sheep, Remember? But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's verse 25. You've been made right with God. Your life is now all about worshiping him and pleasing him. That's what Peter's saying. I'm not sure I always recognize that. So we say no to fighting. No to saying, these are my rights and I'm standing up for them. And we walk the path that Christ sets before us. Christians do this because Christ is their example. They do it because God is their witness. Thirdly, they do it because for this they've been saved. That's what Peter's telling us. Look at verse 24. 
He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. You were straying. Now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, we've got to clarify, no one earns their salvation. We've got that, right? Jesus didn't save you because you somehow deserved it. That's important to know. But living in righteousness, even honoring God and the authorities that he has allowed to sit over you, that's what you've been saved for. Jesus took your sin. He paid for it with his death so that you might die to sin. You remember we were talking about those old passions of the flesh? Those things that well up within us? We feel like our rights are being stripped away from us, and we feel like we're being abused by someone, and those passions of the flesh, they rise up within us, and we want to let them loose. But we've died to sin. We've died to those old fallen cravings, the desire to self-promote. The desire to retaliate, to teach people a lesson. The desire to badmouth. The desire to punish unjustly. To teach others to fear us rather than fearing God and trusting Him. Trusting that God, God, when He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We put all of that old stuff to death. That's what we're talking about here. And that, again, that doesn't mean that we don't take opportunities to stand up for what's right. No, we absolutely stand up for what's right. It doesn't mean that we don't speak up to help others or even ourselves when we're in need or they're they're being abused. It doesn't mean that we don't actively uh, work to promote what is good and right and true in our world and oppose what is evil in our world. But it does mean that in all of that, we live out our days in righteousness. seems like so many people who call themselves Christians have forgotten that. It is, it is unbelievable to me when I watch conservatives on the news and I hear the things that are coming out of their mouths. This is not righteousness. And you might say, well, if you're not a conservative, what are you, Jared? I'm not saying that. I'm saying stand for what is true. Be rock solid in your resolve, but do not do it in unrighteousness. No way. That's self-defeating. What does that do to your argument? I've known so many marriages where this is happening. I'm right. Can't you see that she is wrong? Yeah, you might be right. I might, I might agree with you. Or vice versa, with the wife. But look at how you're behaving. Do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? There's more expletives in there than than I think that is allowed even in rated R movies. (laughs) Come on. She has an argument against you. You may be right in this, but she has a lot of ammunition against you. We have to do it in righteousness. Jesus took your sin, paid for it with his death, that you might die to sin first. Second, live to righteousness. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness 
of life. Not in the oldness of life. Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans 6.18, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. You have a new master and it's good. This is what Jesus saved you for. That as citizens of the kingdom of light, you might be light to the world. It seems like we're in a time where, where we feel like there are certain issues where uh, we can, the issue is so important that we are going to link arms with darkness. Do you see that in our world? I see that all over the place. We're going to partner with them because they advance our cause, and really it's all the cause. No, 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 no. You're part of the kingdom of light. This is the most important cause, that you, your life, bring glory to God as you die to sin, and you are now gladly, willingly, rejoicingly, saying, give me the shackles of righteousness because this is whom I belong to now. I'm an image bearer of the king, and I'm proud to be that. Not proud of myself. I'm proud to be called his. <laughs> Christians do this because the example that Christ gave them, they do it because they live before the face of God. They do it is, is God is their witness, and they do it because this is what they've been saved for. They're saved for righteousness. So they're going to be righteous in all of their situations, even in those situations where I've got a bad boss, I've got a hard situation, I am stuck here, I'd love to get out of it, maybe I'm looking for a new opportunity, but until I do, I'm going to be righteous here. I'm going to represent my Savior well. Last one. They do it because to this they've been called. It's right in our passage. <laughs> Almost verbatim here. For to this you have been called. <laughs> 1 Peter 2.21. What have you been called to? For enduring sorrows will suffering unjustly. You haven't been called to suffer for the wrong things you've done. <laughs> There's no glory in that. But it's a gracious thing, he says. It's a gracious thing when you're punished for representing Christ, for suffering well, for doing good. God's pleased when you endure sufferings for representing Jesus. And so when people laugh at you, and they belittle you, they make fun of you, they even terrorize you, they hurt you for proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. When you do what's righteous, you do what's right. You stand for what's right in a right way, and you get punished for that? Peter says that's a gracious thing. In other words, it pleases God. He sees it. He knows what you're doing. You're suffering. You're in that lawsuit. And it pleases God. You've been called to do that. Remember what Bonhoeffer said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That's not a pillow. Jesus said, if 
anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up that cross. This is the path. This is the way. Walking the way of suffering for righteousness. Trusting God. Ever pressing on in the mission that he has given us. Always representing him well. Testifying to the world how good he is. How glorious he truly is. That's what Christians are called to do. And yes, they know that there's a reward waiting for them. And that's a good motivator. That's, that's actually biblical. Do it for the reward. Yes, that's good. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, if I can get to it, he said, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his opinion, his, 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 his opinion, his appearing. A reward is on the way for you, my friends. That's coming. It's not here yet. Right now, the call is to press on. Right now, you're on the battlefield. Right now, you're behind enemy lines. Right now, the, the call is to persevere. It's to endure. It's to imperfectly, <laughs> imperfectly live out the, the perfect righteousness of Christ in whatever situation you find yourself in, even when you find yourself under unjust and cruel, unkind authorities. This is the path of Christ our King. And the path that he set before us is the Via Dolorosa for us. It's the path that may include some temporary suffering. It's a path that, regardless of its easy stretches or its excruciatingly painful grades, must be walked in righteousness as we trust, rely upon the one who set it before us. Will you walk this path? I think the day has come for Christians, at least in the United States, probably in the rest of the world, where this has become real. Will you walk this path? It's, it's the question that's before us. And I think there are many, many who have been hanging out in church circles. The question's now laid before them. They're saying, see ya. Will you walk this path? This is what the path is. Friends, we are headed in a direction here. Christ is calling us to himself. We are running that race. The author and finisher of our faith is at the finish line, and he's saying, come on, let's go. Do it my way. Don't buy into all this other stuff out there that makes you feel so morally superior out there. No, you do it my way. You stand for truth, and you do it righteously. Paul wrote, I, counted every, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And then there's a part where we, we take the, the sharpie and just kind of... <laughs> no, Paul, you didn't say this, did you? I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. I want that too. Becoming like him in his death, 
that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I don't know what kind of path you're, you're on. I don't know what your, your walk is right now. But I do know that righteously persevering through suffering on the path that God has set before you, set before me, this is the fight that he has for us. We do it because Christ is our example. We do it because God is our witness. We do it because for this we have been saved. And we do it because to this we have been called. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this is, a, this is not the kind of news that we, uh, we like to wake up to in the morning. It's very sobering. And it leaves us thinking deeply and seriously and counting the cost. But Lord, I pray that you would show us and remind us that this is the glorious path. This is the privileged path. Lord, if this was the path that you walked, that our Savior walked, the most glorious person in all of history, Lord, then even to walk it, even in a small fraction of the way you did, is a great honor. Lord, may we represent you well in our time that we have left and in the places that we find ourselves, that you have us right now, in those difficult moments, in those positions where there are people over us that don't know you and don't honor you, they hate you. Lord, may we honor you as we are respectful, as we live righteously, even under difficult conditions. We thank you, Father. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you that this, this world's not our home. Thank you, Lord, that we're a part of that eternal kingdom of light. And we have such a glorious future just over the horizon. We long for that. Lord, fix our eyes on that and the Savior who awaits us. We love you. Thank you for this time we've had in your word, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.